Did you know that you can listen to every single episode of Gangry the Podcast on our website? Just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like Will S. Hilton, Jeannie Marie Laskus, Wright Thompson, Mac McClellan, Justin Heckert, Sarah Weinman, Michael Graff, Leah Satilli, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the Digital Journalism Program at Fairfield University. The Bachelor of Arts degree in Digital Journalism is a rigorous 12-course program designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to take part in today's quickly changing media world. The podcast is also brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University. The college grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. To learn more about the Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences, visit www.fairfield.edu. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. On this episode, I talk with Amos Barshad. Amos is the author of the book, No One Man Should Have All That Power, How Rasputins Manipulate the World. It was published by Abrams Press in April. The book looks at the people in the shadows of the powerful who silently pull strings and wield their own power. We might know a little bit about, we're aware of their names, but we don't realize, you know, the power that they have from, from the, uh, this kind of behind-the-scenes uh, position. The book is incredibly interesting and entertaining. It covers Rasputins in everything from pop culture to crime, from professional sports to politics. It also covers the namesake Rasputin, Grigory Rasputin, an almost mythical Russian mystic who had the ear and the trust of Prince Yusupov until Rasputin was murdered. I think, um, I think it's just one of those things where it's just a good story, you know, like particularly the, um, the story of his, of his death, uh, the, the, the assassination um, that the, his kind of his political enemies carried out on him. It was this thing that always kind of obsessed with me. I'd always try to bring it up in conversations uh, uh, to varying success. Um, I think it really just comes down to, you know, I love, I love a good uh, compelling character, you know, strange people. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, kind of just that thing where it just hooks you, you know, it's just fun. Barshad was raised in Israel, the Netherlands, and Massachusetts. He's a former staff writer at The Fader and Grantland, and has written for The New Yorker, The New York Times, and Arkansas Times. As usual, I've linked to the book and more of Barshad's work, including a New York Times piece that we talk about, on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Amos, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to talk with you about uh, your book, uh, No One Man Should Have All That Power, uh, which was published by Abrams Press in April, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, to start things off, can you can you describe the book? 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the book is about um, people who uh, are Rasputin-esque, uh, which, uh, which uh, I define as having uh, similarities to Grigory Rasputin, who was famous for kind of having uh, power over the, uh, the last Tsar and uh, Tsarina of the Russian Empire in the early 20th century. Um, and, uh, and so in the book, I kind of uh, take this character, Rasputin, which some people know uh, some things about and some people know nothing about. You know, he's kind of a semi-obscure historical figure, and I kind of, uh, kind of uh, thread it through all these um, contemporary figures who, who I kind of make the argument um, are controlling um, uh, in some similar way, you know, that they have power uh, uh, behind the scenes. So they're the uh, kind of the, the puppet masters, you know, the people in the shadows who are pulling the strings that we don't quite know about. We, we might know a little bit about, we're aware of their names, but we don't realize, you know, the power that they have from, from the, uh, this kind of behind the scenes uh, position. I know you mentioned in the introduction that you've, for as long as you can remember, you've been kind of obsessed with, with control or, or these Rasputin like figures. What have you thought about why? What 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 has drawn you to that? <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, if I if I really analyze it, it might be uh, troubling. So maybe I haven't fully uh, <laughs> fully considered why. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of one of those things where um, where where when I I tried to pin it down, you know, I couldn't remember the first time I'd heard of Rasputin. He was just this figure that had always been in my mind and I'd always kind of read about and always kind of bounced around and um, and um, and I think um, I think it's just one of those things where it's just a good story, you know, like particularly the um, the story of his of his death, uh, the, the the assassination um, that uh, his kind of his political enemies carried out on him. It was this thing that always kind of obsessed with me, and I was trying to bring it up in conversations uh, uh, to varying success. Um, I think it really just comes down to you know I love I love a good uh, compelling character, you know, strange people. Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, kind of just that thing where it just hooks you, you know, it's just fun. Um, you know, obviously, uh, power and how it, how it exists is important, uh, incredibly important, you know, in politics and our, our personal lives. Uh, but I think for me, you know, before I got to that, that place where, where I thought about how it, it exists in a larger world, I just saw it as almost, almost a piece of fiction, you know, it was just fun. I was, I was going to, my next question on my list was, I was going to ask if you remember when you first heard that original story of, of Grigory Rasputin. No, I really don't. And, and, uh, and it's also one of those things where, um, you know, his, his, his death, uh, you know, encourage anyone who doesn't know anything about it to go, to go read. Uh, he basically, his, his enemies, uh, lured him into this basement and, and tried to poison him. And allegedly he, the poison didn't work. And there was, you know, the, there was poison cookies and poison wine and none of it worked. And then eventually he had to be shot multiple times and he was still kind of crawling away. And they basically had to dump him in the river. And, and uh, allegedly he was still alive. He was, um, you know, there was supposedly water found in his lungs. Uh, so that meant he was still breathing when they dumped him in. Um, a lot of this stuff is probably not true, um, but it's just so fun. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those stories that I really cannot recall, like when it first came up to me. But but I always love to just kind of tell people about it and 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 um, kind of you know dig deeper myself. And that's part of when um, the book idea came to me. Um, in part, when I kind of got to this point where I was like, I've always been obsessed with this guy. You know, I should really look deeper into his life. So I started reading biographies and and you know basically everything I could find about him. You know, there's memoirs from his daughter and from the man who killed him. Um, and um, the, all this amazing um, 
content around him. Um, and I realized that he was much more interesting character than I ever knew because the truth, uh, isn't that he was just this deceitful, manipulative person. Um, you know, he had many, many layers to him. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was one of those things that was always with me. Um, and, uh, and then once I found out more, you know, I actually got more interested rather than, you know, feeling fulfilled, you know, uh, like feeling like I knew everything. I just wanted, I just wanted more, you know? Yeah. Well, you, you, you said, um, you know, it kind of came to you that you should write a book, uh, um, not necessarily about him, but about the idea. Um, what, what, when you started thinking of a book, when did you come up with the idea of, of doing it the way that you did? Well, I think part of it was I'd been looking at some of the, uh, stuff I'd done in my, um, in my journalism. And I'd realized that I, I, uh, explored some of these characters repeatedly without necessarily seeing it as a threat or anything like that. It was just kind of people I was drawn to writing about. Um, you know, sometimes this kind of thing would come up. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I started to think about all these characters and, and how they, how to thread them together, you know, and, and obviously they come from different fields. Um, you know, the summer and pop culture, summer and politics, summer, uh, in sports, some are in uh, drug trafficking. So there wasn't anything, there was, there, no, there's no reason why all these people would be in the same room ever. But, but, uh, in my mind, I saw, I saw this connection, um, you know, where they actually were very similar, um, even despite totally different backgrounds, you know, they're, they're all over the world. Um, and, uh, and, and the people they interact with are totally different, but the thing they all had in common was this ability to manipulate others. Um, and so it just seemed to me that the way to make the most sense to do it, uh, was the way I did it in the book, which is kind of this, I guess, a collection of profiles, you know, it kind of moves forward through, um, through these various characters and, and the, tr the way I tried to do it was to start with, you know, pop culture. And, and so we have some, some, some fiction editors and some movie directors and things like that. And it kind of keeps, um, upping the ante a bit and getting, uh, a bit more devious and gets into politics and, and, and kind of international relations, um, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, that to me felt like, uh, felt like the right way to approach it, you know, to kind of introduce you to all these characters and, and show you how they're threaded together throughout the world. It was really interesting for me, uh, as I was reading, especially the early parts of the book, because, uh, two people come up who, who I've actually interviewed and written stories about, uh, in my oh. own journalism career. And that was Ronnie Spector, uh, which I, I profiled uh, when she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, man. And um, Tess Gallagher, who I wrote uh, a story on for uh, a tiny uh, uh, local newspaper when she came to the, a local bookstore and did a reading. And I've actually uh, got two uh, copies of books signed by her sitting on my bookshelf at home. So that was kind of crazy. That's amazing. Uh, that's so funny. I mean, yeah, Ronnie Spector is a complete legend. That's so cool. And and Tess Gallagher. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would have loved to talk. I would have loved to talk with her. Um yeah, that's amazing. What what were they like? They were they were great. They were really Ronnie was a phone interview, um, but she was very excitable and fun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and and Tess was oh my god, I would would have had to have been in my like, I had to have been like twenty two years old. That had to have been yeah. like my first year as a reporter, I think. Oh, um, cool. And so I have no <laughs> I have no idea. Um, uh, just probably did a horrible job on if i could go back and find that story i'd be incredibly embarrassed to find it um it's probably tucked away online somewhere uh out there but uh i'm gonna go look for it now after we talk probably <laughs> um uh when when you when you uh when you kind of decided on the categories um how did you start identifying who you who you wanted to focus on um well yeah i mean there really were a ton of 
people that I had on various lists. And, um, you know, I think the original list that I drew up, the thing that I, that I had in my book proposal, um, I think ended up being totally different from what I ended up doing, um, which, which, um, which I really think was for the best, you know, because you go through these, um, these figures. And, and part of what's fun about this, um, this idea of Rasputin League characters and what's also kind of tricky about it is, you know, sometimes people appear to be Rasputins at first, but they're not. Sometimes people don't appear and then they are. So, you know, you can have someone who's, you know, a manipulative person um, that doesn't necessarily make him a Rasputin in my, you know, definition of the of the word. Um, it is just really like particular thing, which can kind of get confusing. But, but that's part of the fun of it is kind of hunting for them and trying to figure them out. So, you know, I went through a lot of iterations of these people and I rejected some because I didn't think they were quite right. And I rejected others because I knew I wouldn't be able to to, you know, kind of offer anything new into, into their lives. Like, for example, you know, an obvious one that came to mind right away was Dick Cheney, uh, who, I, of course, I would have loved to interview, still would love to interview. Um, you know, I kind of made overtures early on um, and, uh, and, was, and was told that he, you know, wouldn't be interested, which makes sense. Um, and, uh, and so and there's other people in the book who I don't interview directly, but I, I write about them. And I was, thought I was able to, you know, provide uh, kind of a new narrative or new reporting or whatever it is, something, something novel about those people. Uh, with Cheney, you know, he's just been covered so much that I didn't think, you know, there's movies being made about him. I just didn't think I could offer anything new. Uh, so that was part of it where I just kind of wanted to move away from that and try to try to get people where I felt like I was um, crafting the, their narrative a little bit more. You know, with Cheney, that would have been almost impossible to do. Um, and so, and so I ended up with this collection of people, some of which I met in person, some of which I wrote about by interviewing people that knew them, some of which I kind of dug into some, um, historical aspects of them. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it was kind of part of a travelogue, you know, I'd go to LA and, uh, Tijuana and, um, and, um, and, uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, so, so I definitely wanted to kind of, you know, try to create this feeling of, you know, these people exist everywhere. Um, and so, uh, and so I ended up with this particular list of people that I felt, you know, reflected that. I was uh, I, that kind of led into a little bit uh, and another question I was going to ask, and that was like how how close uh, did the the final product, the book, uh, come to what you initially originally envisioned? Was it primarily just the different people, or were there some other things that you uh, made adjustments to as well? Um, I think uh, the primary thing was the uh, was the uh, different people, but then. Uh, another part, I think, was just trying to figure out what it meant um, to uh, to uh, to be a Rasputin, you know, which I couldn't do until I really dug into it. You know, I had I had my ideas about it, but but once I saw what it looked like, I think I learned I think I learned new things about it. But I think the structure, I think I, I pretty much had the idea for the structure. Um, you know, this this thing I would start with, um, yeah, I would start with the real Rasputin and uh, kind of go all over the world meeting these, these, these so-called new Rasputins and then kind of end back um, with his real life again. Um, I always kind of had that in mind, which was which was really helpful um, in writing it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you go off to do any big project, you feel like you're going to get lost in the middle of it. Um, but having that book proposal and that outline uh, for me was super, super helpful. Who were the hardest people to to track down and actually get to talk to you? I think uh, I think I mentioned in the book. I think it's I think it was Scooter uh, Braun, uh, Justin Bieber's uh, manager, and and, and um, you know I kind of use him as this example of someone who. Uh, I call him the anti-Rasputin because he exists in this position where he can have undue influence. But, you know, as he says to me in the book, he, he, he only uses it for good. 
you know, he has his uh, client's best interest at heart, um, uh, you know, which was really interesting to hear and, and, and interesting to hear him explain exactly how he comes to have that influence, how he protects it, um, you know, and, and and how he came to find, you know, he was one of those people who I think grew, was kind of born to be a, this kind of figure, this, this behind the scenes um, character, you know, um, super smart, super capable. Um, but not one to take the stage themselves, you know, but still obsessed with culture and obsessed with wanting to shape it in some way, you know, which I, which I think he absolutely does. Um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because he's not in politics. He's not in, you know, some crazy, crazy field. He's in pop culture. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he was tough. He was tough, uh, to find and, and very, very protective, um, of his, um, of his, you know, I guess image and, and all that, which I think totally makes sense. I think he is someone in the public I and uh, and I de- definitely uh, definitely respect him for you know uh, wanting to to protect that protect uh, protect his image. But yeah, he was tough. He was definitely tough to find. He he was the one who said when he's looking for for talent, he's not looking for something he likes. He's looking for something he knows is going to be good, right? Yeah, I mean that was kind of my um, you know my um, I'm sure he would have a different take on it all. But I, you know when I the way I saw it was that he was a little bit agnostic about it all. You know he. He he lo- he grew up loving you know rap music, um, uh, but when he kind of broke into the field, it was you know with this pop artist Justin Bieber. And uh, I'm not saying he doesn't like Justin Bieber's music. I'm sure he loves Justin Bieber's music, uh, you know, as we all do. Uh, uh, but uh, but I think part of the uh, I think part of the genius of him is, as a business person is to remove yourself from the culture as much as you can. You know, if you are making these decisions emotionally you're not going to be a multimillionaire. Uh, you're going to fail for sure. Um, and so he's uh, a bit um, ruthless, a bit, you know, detached as, as you have to be, which, which, uh, which for a fan who loves uh, pop music, that might be kind of uh, depressing to sound to hear, you know, but, but that's the way it has to work, you know, otherwise you're just get lost down all these little rabbit holes of things that are your little personal obsessions. Like you have to be able to take the step back and just, just try to analyze, um, you know, the information in front of you. And, you know, he explained to me a little bit how he goes about doing that. And I thought that was, uh, thought that was fascinating. Did you ever feel when you were out interviewing, uh, these people that, that they were trying to Rasputin you in some way? <laughs> um, I, I think afterwards I tried to think about places and times where they, where they did that. Um, and I think, you know, I think as an, uh, interviewer, um, you know, you try to come in and, and, uh, and give the people a feeling that you haven't made up your mind about them. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think, um, to, to give them the understanding that you, you are there to let them tell them, tell you, you know, their, their point of view, tell them their story and, and that you will make an honest and totally fair, you know, interpretation of it after the fact, you know? Um, and so I try to do that as much as possible. So I try to basically hope to tell these people that they, they don't, they don't need to rescue me, you know, they don't need to manipulate me. Um, I'm going <laughs> to give a fair shake either way. Um, but you know, it's hard to say, I think also some of that stuff is so subtle and, and minor, like even, you know, being made to wait a certain amount of time or, you know, just even just the amount of emails and phone calls you have to do. And, you know, some of that stuff happens after the fact, too. You finish the interview and you start hearing back from people and they're trying to push and prod it in certain ways. And it's like kind of that thing of, you know, self-censorship. Um, if you know you're going to write something that's going to piss someone off, um, you're going to maybe not be as bold about it. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it, too. But it's all, it's all you know, it's all... Um, 
it wasn't it wasn't uh, heavy-handed you know it was all kind of minor little tweaks and prods there which i honestly think is uh, you probably have felt the same thing i mean anyone who's ever interviewed anyone i think probably feels to some extent uh, the same thing especially if you're going through publicists and managers and all these people who are invested in in, in that person's uh, image right right uh, you you wrote a piece um, also back in April uh, for the New York Times um, that describes a potential family Rasputin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can, can you talk about that piece? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I kind of uh, in the later stages of when I was doing the book, um, it hadn't come out yet, um, but I, it was more or less done. And, and also, you know, I'd been talking about it for three years. So uh, so my parents obviously knew, um, you know, what it was about. And 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 and, um, and it was they were part of the uh, you know, some friends and some family that as I was going through the process of doing it, um, and looking for these Rasputins, um, there were some of the people who were offering them to me, you know, sending me emails of, of links to stories and, and telling me, oh, I heard about this guy, I heard about that, you know, uh, character, like look into that. And so I was getting getting all these tips, which was really fun um, and looking into them, um, which and it was also kind of funny because, uh, you know, I'm basically I, I was in a car with them and, and uh, we were just uh, driving and, you know, I wasn't really involved in their conversation and they start talking about someone. And it's my grandma, it's my father's uh, mother, and they're telling me about how she's being manipulative. And they kind of just like blurted out, like, you know, she could have been in your book. And I was like, wait, how did you not tell me this before? You know, uh, why didn't you ever tell me that I had a Rasputin-like character in my own family? Um, and, you know, I'd always known my, my grandma to kind of be, uh, you know, uh, in, in the best way possible, an interesting character, you know, kind of a crazy person. Um, and, you know, I love her for that. Um, but the way that they were talking about it was this very particular, you know, manipulation, manipulative skills that she had. And my dad was telling me all about it. You know, she's in this nursing home in Israel and she's uh, and she's uh, dissatisfied with the movies that they're showing. They're showing bad old movies and she's trying to basically, you know, foment a revolution uh, to, to uh, her fellow nursing home uh, people against the uh, management. And the management had complained to him and it was this whole thing. And I was like, this is insane. This is crazy. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, I really wanted to write about it. Um, and so, um, and so I called my grandma, we had a little chat about it. She explained it to me. Um, and it was really fun. Um, I was really, really happy to be able to kind of, uh, you know, I hope in a loving way, you know, portray her like kind of, you know, her evil genius, uh, you know, her little bit of, of, of skills in that department. And I was also very happy to, to hear that I had this rescue in my family. And then, and then maybe who knows, this is maybe where it all started, you know, watching her as a child, that's what <laughs> I was gonna... putting all the pieces together, you know, <laughs> right. That's what I was going to ask. So maybe that's where, maybe that's where you heard the original term or the yeah, story, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really fun. And, and, uh, I haven't, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't told uh, my grandma that I wrote about her. Um, maybe I will one day. I'm a little scared to reveal the whole truth. Uh, she doesn't read in English. So I think we're, I think we're okay. I think I'm all right. Uh, you know, kind of <laughs> sliding through the radar there. Um, but, uh, but I, yeah, I do feel like it's a, uh, kind of in my mind, you know, like a, a tribute to her. And I actually feel that way about, you know, all the people I write about their interesting characters and you can figure out their morality um uh, where where you feel they are on the spectrum of morality um but as far as you know living their lives in a in an interesting way they definitely succeeded as far as that goes you know yeah yeah um one thing that's happened to me and i mentioned this to you before we started recording that since i read the book um i'm constantly looking for rasputins everywhere Um, and i don't even know that i even like knew what that term meant before i started the book truthfully that's Um, great 
Like I, I, I just started watching Game of Thrones two months ago, and that's all I see in every episode is all the Rasputin esque uh, characters. Awesome. Uh, I'm looking for them in my own life, and now I'm starting to think: Was this your goal that you wanted to make everybody <laughs> look for their own Rasputins? Yeah, I mean that's that's um, that's really great to hear. I think you might be yeah, my ideal reader here, so right. that's awesome. Um, but I, I feel the same way, and and I actually thought I'd be you know burned out by now, but I'm still like totally into it and totally just kind of spotting him all the time. And, um, and, and it's really fun for me and I'm really, really glad to hear, um, that you're doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, you know, at one of my, I did a reading in New York and, um, I think someone asked me, you know, who's your Rasputin and, uh, and, and, and it was, you know, a really funny question, but I also had never thought about it and, you know, I stopped to think about it and I realized that, you know, my, my, uh, my girlfriend, uh, is someone who I do give, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, weight to what she says. She has a lot of influence uh, in my life, you know, in a good way because I respect her opinions and I want it, I want her to weigh in on my big life decisions. But, you know, kind of extrapolating from there, I started to think, you know, it's kind of true that we all have someone in our lives. Like it could be a family member. It could be a best friend. It could be some kind of mentor or, you know, professor or like it could really be anyone. But that's someone that we really give a lot, a lot of influence um, to them, you know, like we all kind of have these personal Rasputins. And uh, and once I realized that, you know, it made me really happy because I realized, you know, this does have this personal connection, this idea of influence. And, and, and it's not to say that you shouldn't have those those people. You know, I absolutely think you should. But it is interesting to stop and think about. Um, the way they exist in our lives and, and how we uh, how we sometimes, you know, I, I can't, you know, sometimes you just can't make a decision without consulting them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, I um, I think it was last week when Baxter Holmes' uh, story about the Los Angeles Lakers was published yeah. on ESPN. Um, and I read it and I tweeted about Linda Rambis being a Rasputin character. And I yeah. think I tied it to your book that, you know, mentioning I was going to be interviewing you. And then you actually emailed me that story as well. Uh, what, yeah, what, yeah. yeah. If you were writing another chapter, would would you look at her maybe? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love to. I mean, it's also so funny. I mean, I don't know if uh, yeah, people are familiar with the whole situation. But basically, the Lakers are combusting and uh, people are saying that Jeannie Buss, who's the actual owner, uh, is not as in control as she seems to be. And that, in fact, Linda Rambis, who I think is like her best friend and is also the wife of Kurt Rambis, is actually running the show, which is like, if you know Kurt Rambis, it's already funny because he was, you know, he was a professional player for a long time, but he wasn't necessarily like killing it out there. Uh, and now that his wife is like secretly in control of the Lakers, it's just one of those things that's like, you know, too weird to be true, feels too weird to be true. Um, and so I would love to, to dive in and understand exactly what it means. They, they were calling her the shadow owner and all this stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it would be really fun, especially if they, uh, especially if they, uh, were willing to talk about it together, you know, cause I think there's something really intense about, you know, uh, best friendships, um, and, 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 you know, you're relying on this person as your confidant and your source of support. So it's not like Linda Rambis is some kind of, uh, you know, again, they're not, these people aren't evil necessarily. It's just that they're maybe overstepping their boundaries here, you know, like uh, Jeannie Buss, you know, needed someone, uh, you know, owning the Lakers is a tough job, you know, she needed right. someone in her corner. And all of a sudden, it's like Linda Rambis has taken too much of the uh, control here. I mean, it's bizarre. And yeah, it's totally fascinating. I actually have a chapter in my uh, in the book about the um, former president of South Korea, uh, uh, President Park um, and 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 her best friend, her childhood best friend Choi Soon Sil, and uh, and their intense um, relationship through the years, and how it kind of 
curdled and it became this insane Rasputin situation. And uh, and I wonder if uh, if something like that exists with Linda uh, Rambis and Jeannie Buss as well. You know, you're friends with someone for a long, long time. You trust them like as 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 a family member. Uh, and uh, and maybe uh, maybe that whole thing kind of gets away from you. You know, uh, but yeah, that that was crazy. I I was also yeah. There was all all kinds of ones that have come up recently. Um, uh, uh, one I saw Slobodan Milosevic's wife passed away. Uh, and, uh, and I'd never heard this before, but they say that she had like a lot of influence over him, uh, and his decisions as well. And it's like, this is, uh, you know, a person who's like blamed with starting the war in the Balkans. So it's like, actually she was the one who started the war in the Balkans, you know, it's just like, oh my God, it's hard to wrap your head around. Right. Right. Um, I, I know, uh, you used to write for Grantland. Um, uh, yes. that's been that's been a while uh it's sad uh when it went away but what 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 did yeah. you do what what you do uh what what type of stuff did you write uh when you were writing for grantland um i was doing um i was doing pop culture i was kind of hired on the pop culture side um but then uh which one of the great things about grantland and all the editors there uh, was that they'd kind of let you run and do whatever you wanted um and so if you had a good idea they'd let you do it and at the time i hadn't really written about sports um uh, and you know, I, I was obsessed with them, but I just hadn't written about them, you know, and, uh, and they you know, let me go into NBA locker rooms and go, you know, write about football in Israel and all kinds of, you know, crazy things. And, uh, and so by the end I was kind of just doing, yeah, whatever I was, I, I was writing features and, you know, um, long form pieces. Um, and, uh, and as long as, you know, the idea, you know, went through the editorial process, I pitched it and they, and they accepted it. Yeah. They let me go run off and do it. Um, and so, yeah, that was an amazing place to work. And it's kind of like, um, kind of like in a way, um, the breadth of stuff that I was able to do there and the breadth of stuff that the editors encouraged us to pursue, I think did lead to this book in a way, you know, uh, when you look at all these subjects that are being hit in the book, um, I think, I think it's similar to my time there and, and kind of my, 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 uh, objective, you know, ever since, which is just to, if something is interesting, you know, go write about it, you know, don't worry if you necessarily know everything about it, or if you are the, you know, foremost expert, you know, if you, if you find a good story, then, then you should pursue it. And I think that's also what led to me writing this kind of book, which is bounces all through all these things, but, but that's the, that's what, that's what interests me, you know, all these various topics. And this was like a really fun way to kind of tie them all together. Yeah. Uh, writing a book takes some time, especially when you're also reporting. Uh, and so sometimes once the book comes out, you might want to decompress, but do you have an idea of what you've got coming up next? Um, I have some, uh, I have some ideas and I think the, the most, um, you know, the most positive sign is that I actually do, I do want to do it again. You know, this is my first book and, you know, you never quite know if you're going to want to ever do that again. Um, but I enjoyed the process and, and I would love to do it again, uh, someday. Um, and I think I definitely learned a lot and I would do things differently and, 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 and kind of, you know, approach it in different ways. Um, you know, one, one, just one example is that I, I wrote this one pretty fast. I really was obsessed with trying to hit um, the deadline. Um, and, you know, if anyone who's written books knows, you know, they, they have these deadlines, but they're not super yeah, serious about them. They kind of throw them out. And they're, they all, everyone kind of knows you're not going to hit the deadline. Um, but, I, but I became obsessed with, with hitting it. And, and, um, and I'm really glad I did it that way. Um, you know, I, obviously, you know, uh, when you're writing uh, magazine pieces are, are, are you're, you're on deadline and that's the way it works and that's that's what has always worked for me having that, that looming deadline is the most motivating thing um, and so that was great but I think you know also a book is supposed to be something a little weirder a little uh, woolier um, so I think if I ever were to do one I would love to spend you know like 
just a year reporting, you know, to really taking my time collecting stuff and, you know, take years to write, you know, just, just uh, let it kind of marinate, you know, that would well, be really fun. I know too. Tom Juno, uh, who is at ESPN now, uh, had a book deal. I think the due date was 1998. Uh-huh. And I think he's going to be turning that book in here uh, this year. So oh my God, uh, he, only, he only missed the deadline by about 21 years. So, oh <laughs> but it'll, God, you know, it's going to be an amazing book. So that'll oh, be, yeah, yeah. He's incredible. <laughs> that'll be Wait, awesome. that's, that's so funny. That's like totally inspiring. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to buy that, his book uh, just to encourage him and to support his decision-making process there. Yeah. That's right, so, that's right. so cool. It's so cool right. to hear. But first we're going to see <laughs> so, an actor portray him in the Mr. Rogers movie coming out this summer. So, Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's going to be based on his Esquire story from back in the day. So, oh, God. Um, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. So, oh, wow. Uh, anyways, uh, Amos, thank you so much uh, for joining the podcast. I love talking with you about your book, No One Man Should Have All That Power, which was um, published by Abrams Press uh, back in April. Uh, good luck on all your future projects. And it's been great talking with you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure. I've been talking with Amos Barshad. He's the author of the book, No One Man Should Have All That Power, How Rasputins Manipulate the World. It was published by Abrams Press in April. I've linked to the book and more of Barshad's work on our website. You can find that at www.gangritapodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by Fairfield University's Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences. Our music comes from Audionautics. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.